Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with New York Times bestselling author Linda Fairstein. Her latest novel, The 17th, featuring Alexandra Cooper, is Devil's Bridge. Linda, welcome. Thank you, Stephen. I'm really delighted to be with you. And I have to tell you what a delight it is to speak with you and to thank you for all of these books you've written through the years. This is the only series that my mother and I enjoyed together. (laughs) That's great. Well, that makes me very happy then. (laughs) She only liked reading books where she could learn something. And I said, oh, you have to read Uh these books because you'll read all, you'll learn all this stuff about New York City. And she loved them and uh, devoured them to the point where she got caught up in real time and then we would read them all together. So that was a delight. And I I thank you for that. Fascinating. I mean, one of the things that's sort of my own self-branding, but I too like books that are beyond, and I love thrillers, Mm -hmm. uh, beyond car chases and shootouts. So I love a book where there's something to come away with, something to learn. And so I started just using New York City landmark locations um, as, as the basis for the book. And if you want to learn as you read, it's great. If it's just part of the background of the crime, that, that's fine, too. But I had so many cases. I investigated so many cases that took place in great landmark locations that you think of as so benign or cultural icons, uh, like Lincoln Center, where there was actually a murder during a performance. So um, I'm glad you both like that aspect of it, and it's it's kind of what I love to do in a book. You know, there there are a number of fun things about your series that I, I'm sure none of this is new to you. I'm sure you hear it from every single reader, but it's the historical stuff, the uh, the trip that we all get to take with Alex to uh, Martha's Vineyard at least once in each book, and the Jeopardy <laughs> stuff. It's just, it's it's incredible. But you have those things, those elements in each book, yet you keep everything so fresh. And this book, you've really freshened things up a little bit. So let's talk about the book and then talk about some of the things that you've done in the 17th novel to sort of change things up a bit. Great. You're very kind. So Devil's Bridge um, is the 17th book in the series, and as you know, it, it stands alone. One can pick it up anywhere if you mm-hmm. want to go to the library and get the old ones, great. But uh, I, I was trying to show a couple of things. One is that um, I think, although I set Alex Cooper, the female prosecutor, up as the protagonist in this series from the beginning. I gave her two guy best friends uh, from whom she kind of learns everything about investigating serious cases. One is Mike Chapman, the other Mercer Wallace. Mike's homicide. Um, Readers, being smarter than the writer sometimes, as you know, Stephen, readers (laughs) sort of picked up before. uh, I never had a plan when I started the series to, to make Alex and Mike Lovers. I mean, I write crime novels. Romance wasn't a piece of it. They were just going to be the guys who covered her back, taught her how to investigate, and Mike's got a sharp mouth and, and meant to just make her not take herself too seriously. Um, but I would say that the reason male readers have come to me is basically because of Mike Chapman. Um, he's a strong character, uh, very smart, I think funny. Um, and women just really seem to enjoy his company. So I've been saying for years that I wanted to write a book from Mike's point of view, get inside his head. How does he work a case procedurally? Uh, What does he think of Alex? What doesn't he like about her? Uh, Why this change in their relationship? And 
my editor heard me say that at a book signing two years ago. People would always ask at this point, is there anything else you want to write? And so I'd say, yeah, I'd love to do a, a Mike Chapman novel. So he took me to lunch, he, my editor, and said, what's holding you back? And I said, well, you primarily. I thought this was the Alex Cooper series, and you might not like it. He said, do it. If you think you can write a convincing male voice, Mike Chapman, go for it. And I feel uh, I've known Mike from the beginning as well as I know Alex. I've been inside his head. I've written his dialogue. I've just never looked at the world through his eyes. And this book gave me the chance to do that. So it starts like every other Alex Cooper novel. She's narrating. She has a particularly bad day in court, a phenomenon I'm familiar with (laughs) in my career. Mm -hmm. And uh, then she disappears. And nobody knows whether it's just a, a tantrum because she's had such a bad day. Uh, that's what her friends think at first, and, but when she doesn't show up the next day, uh, they know it's more serious. So, 70 pages in, the big twist in this novel is Coop's world goes dark, and Mike Chapman for the first time picks up the narrative. And so it's really Chapman's book. We are inside his head. You get to see how he thinks. You get to um, experience his mouth. I think that's right, Mike <laughs> Chapman, more than before. And you understand what the stakes are, uh, why he's so casual. First, he doesn't know about Alex's disappearance. He's actually working a homicide, and I wanted my readers to see him do that, see him at a crime scene, at a murder scene, body still there. And then, um, then he thinks Alex has just been immature and childlike and reacted to a bad day. And finally, he gets the need to ratchet up the the look for her and he the police commissioner um it just goes to headquarters at the highest level to find a missing prosecutor and i've got to say i don't do any research on books before i start reading them for interviews i just start reading and when it it's flipped <laughs> over to mike's voice i'm like what's going on here <laughs> and it was so cool and it's like, oh, oh good we get mike chapman and i assumed it was going to be for a few chapters but it wasn't it was for the rest of the book Absolutely. Um, You know, in plotting out the book, uh, I had to decide, I mean, the writer's process here for a moment was deciding whether if I wrote it from Mike for the rest of the book, there's no Alex Cooper in the book. And so I gave a little thought to three chapters of Mike, two of Alex, where she is, what she's going through. And what put me off from doing it was actually the great success of another crime novel, which is Gone Girl, mm-hmm. um, still so popular at the time that I started writing this book. Uh, the idea that you do the woman's boy, the disappeared woman's voice, and then the husband, and then the woman, and then the husband. And I said, you know what? I'll be accused of copying Gone Girl. Um, I'm doing my own original thing. This is my imagination. And so I made the decision that even though it's the Alex Cooper series, the reader is going to lose her um, for you know, 75, 80% of this book. So um, it, was, it was really uh, a well-thought-out approach and then just so much fun after 16 years of being thoroughly egocentric about Alex to get into this guy's head and his humor uh, and his rebellious nature 
to watch him do his work and to write what he does. So uh, I, I had great fun writing it, and I, I really want to give that to the reader. You mentioned your career. Your, your career, there are some parallels between you and Alex, and I'll, I'll let you get into that. But one of the things that's, that's always interesting in your books, and one of the natures of any thriller is the, tenture, the tension is constantly being ratcheted up. But oftentimes, there's workplace tension and workplace pressure placed on Alex that's outside of the main storyline. And I, I, in, in this case, in the opening of the book, and it's, it's in a lot of the books, where there's just this unrelenting pressure that just keeps adding and adding and adding. Is that what it was really like? I have to say that's exactly what it was really like. Uh, my prosecutorial job was in Manhattan in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so any, everything, every case had the potential to be um, high profile, not just because we have major newspapers there, but we have two major tabloids, the New York Post and Daily News. And if you um, did special victims work, these are generally referred to as sex crimes. So the headline potential, um, if, you, if something happened in a landmark location, Terminal City, my last book, the victims found in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, where there have been murders, where I handled rape cases. And the minute that you have a, a well-known hotel, that becomes a headline. Um, the politics, the DA in New York is an elected official, and of course the mayor is elected. And they overlap on a lot of things, budget issues, the DA is constantly having to be at the mercy of the mayor for those things. But they often have very different points of view on law enforcement techniques, which is a third department, the NYPD, appointed by the mayor, but working closely with the DA. So um, what you see throughout this book and in many of those stories is the tension created by Alex Cooper trying to do her job, but aware that the man she reports to um, has very political instincts, will mm-hmm. run for office again. Every victim and many offenders are his constituents, so he's got to go to church Sunday morning, maybe the victim's church Sunday morning, and explain why she, the victim, couldn't have been saved or what the murder means. Um, there, the the tension, we've used that word already this morning, but the, the tension between what Alex has to do to do her job well and to do it right, uh, and the fact that somebody else is looking at her politically for answers puts a terrible pressure on her and, and every other prosecutor and cop. So it is something that I wanted to show in the books, and I think most clearly comes through in this particular novel, Devil's Bridge. It really does. Now, let's talk for a minute about the landmarks and, and this thing that you started doing 17 books ago, where you would you would select some landmarks and feature them. And obviously, you do a great deal of very in-depth research, and you share that information beautifully inside the story. What comes first for you, the landmarks or the story? Good question, Stephen. Uh, for me, the the landmark, the world I'm going to go into comes first. Okay. Uh, I've, I've always been, I kind of feel I could set a story almost, anywhere, and I love to give the reader something to take away from the book, what we were talking about earlier about um, being a, a smart read, if, if mm-hmm. uh, that's not too obnoxious to say. But, but you learn something in the three or four hours you're going to spend with these characters. And so I, I sort of pick a world, and it's been the great museums of the city, it's been the 
just spectacular New York Public Library, which is a research library, not a lending library, with some of the greatest treasures, treasures in the world. Governor's Island, which you can see from Manhattan, but which had no public access for the last 30 years. Um, things like that that I like to get permission to go to, do the research, go into. And here, uh, the Hudson River Waterway, the Great Hudson River, uh, which goes down to New York Harbor and then way up past Albany and New York, is just one of the uh, most spectacular vistas wherever you stand in New York City. So it's home at the, at the mouth of the river to the Statue of Liberty, which itself has a fascinating history. Um, there's a boat basin, which is the only residential boat area in New York City. Kind of interesting, funky place. It's been around for a century. Um, the George Washington Bridge, which got a lot of attention because of the New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, <laughs> and a scandal called Bridgegate, which has nothing to do with the story, but that bridge <laughs> illustrates the jacket of the book. So I'm getting a lot of questions if it's that kind of political thriller. And then the, um, the denouement, the, the, the chase, and the, I hope, thrilling scene, scenes near the end take place at a little-known landmark right below the George Washington Bridge. So um, really interesting for me. I learned something in the process. gives me more to do than just sit at the keyboard. I get to go to these places. And the nice thing that I hear, people, if you're from New York, the New York area, uh, many people are familiar with these places. Um, many people who come into the city write and say, never been there. I'm going to go see this place. But for me, the nicest mail comes from all over the country and really from foreign readers who say, I've never been to New York. I don't expect to ever get there. I live in New Zealand. I'm a sheep farmer. Um, but your books transport me to New York City. I feel like I'm there. And of course, now with the internet, people can go online and visit these sites or see them through my website. So uh, it, it's, um, it's a really added pleasure for me to be able to peel back layers of um, the underbelly, if you will, of New York and and put it in these books. And that's an interesting way of putting it because I've, I don't live in New York, but I visit from time to time and I see some of these places, but I don't see them the way you show them in the books. I see them the way a tourist would see them who's there for a couple hours, who, you know, blazes through and sees something and feels like he <laughs> learns a little something. But then you read the book and you get sort of the story behind the story and you have a much greater appreciation for what actually went into the creation of that particular landmark. Well, thank you. You know, it, it, it always amazes me how layered over our great cities are. And, of course, New York is, is young compared to European counterparts. But um, when, you, when you dig under the New York Public Library, uh, it was once a potter's field after the Revolutionary War. It was later the holding reservoir. It was a huge reservoir. And readers uh, familiar through your show with uh, Caleb Carr, the alienist, a great historical crime novel mm -hmm. from 20 years ago or so. Um, he wrote about that location when it was literally a reservoir with a great wall on top, and people could promenade around the wall and see great distances. Uh, it was just a physical attraction as well. And then it became a library. And so the potter's field was dug up and and people were buried somewhere else. The water disappeared, although you can still, if you tour the library, see the, the uh, foundation 
that was a reservoir. And now it's this research library with uh, not just books, but some of the most interesting treasures in the world, Charlotte Bronte's writing desk and Charles Dickens' uh, letter opener that he made from the paw of his beloved cat uh, after the cat's death. I mean, just, um, totally <laughs> thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> totally <laughs> Sorry? I said thanks for clearing up that up. You said after the yes, cat's yes, death. Yes. <laughs> he had a cat named Bob that he loved. <laughs> and uh, uh, so um, it, it's it just there's so many places in New York. And, of course, they look refined to us. And if you're a cop or a prosecutor, you've probably been there <laughs> for some nefarious reason. You have been there for the occasion of a crime that was committed. So that's the kind of unlayering that I just love to do in the books. Well, and it's the kind of thing that we as readers love to read. Linda, I could I could ask you questions for hours about the research that you do, and I'd love to be able to do that sometime, but I want to be respectful of your time today. What's the best way for readers to keep up with you and your work? Great. Uh, I've got a website, uh, lindafairstein.com, and it's got teaser chapters of Devil's Bridge. You can, if you haven't read anything, read there. Um, it can link you to sales for all the books. Reading Club downlo- download. Uh, I have a very active fan page on Facebook, so uh, like that if you're a uh, Facebook person. And it not only shows all my appearances, but I post a lot of pictures every day. Readers can comment, tell me what they like, what they don't like. Uh, those are the two most active ways to find me. And uh, in the fall, expect a um, if you email and we capture your address or you want to subscribe, I'm going to start doing newsletters as well. Ah, excellent. And uh, I'll echo what you said earlier. I, I got my mom into the series with, like, the fifth book. All of your books can be read as standalones. This one certainly can. Uh, and, and more than likely, you'll be like my mom. When you read one of them, you're going to want to go back to the beginning of the series and read them all. So, Linda, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Stephen, and thanks for having this show. <laughs> it's just a great show. <laughs> thanks so much. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you like what we're doing here, the best way to support the show is to pop on over to iTunes and give the show a rating or a review. Those help other readers find great new books like Devil's Bridge from Linda Fairstein. Thanks for listening. <laughs>